Turn into Micah chapter 6. Uh, I'll get there with you in a little bit. Um, you know, I believe most Christian people that, you know, take their Christianity seriously. I mean, looking at a Wednesday night crowd and anybody that's listening online, um, you know, takes their Christianity uh, serious. And, uh, you know, in their heart of hearts, they want to live a life that pleases the Lord that makes their father happy with them, their heavenly father. You know, and thankfully, from the Bible, we have guidance on how to accomplish that, what to do to please our heavenly father. And, um, and we have narratives, if you would, even in the Bible. There are a lot of biblical characters that God has given us chapter after chapter on their life. We could think of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We could think of Joseph. We could think of uh, um, Daniel, others. That, and, of course, the life of Paul in the New Testament and everything. Where we have these long, expanded narratives of their lives and in many different areas of their life and how God dealt with them in a positive way and how God dealt with them, you know, when they messed up. Uh, we could look at King Saul and how he blessed them in the beginning until pride set in and then the fall of Saul and then King David, uh, how he was mightily blessed, but then again he made mistakes and God had to deal with them. But all through that is a, this narrative's is instructions to us. We can see what pleases the Heavenly Father, and we can see what will get us in trouble. And um, so, again, um, like I said, some of these narratives are to their honor. Uh, Daniel and Joseph, there's not a single complaint by God made about those two men in any of the scriptures. They weren't perfect, but their lives pleased the Lord to a point that he did not choose to um, inspire anyone to write it in the word of God. But there's others that's been to their dishonor, these narratives that we have seen. But there's also places in the Bible, like what we're going to look at tonight, where if you would allow me to use the phrase instead of this like motion picture or this long narrative like we have on the previous people I've discussed, we have these little snapshots of what God says that he requires out of his people and helps us to know how to please our Heavenly Father. One of these that I'll read for you, you don't have to turn to it, but I'll give it to you, is James chapter 1 and verse 22. And he says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Think about that with me just a little bit when he tells us to be, uh, be ye doers of the word. I, I've known, uh, you know, like Sunday morning, um, this house will be a lot fuller than it is right now. Now, we have a lot of people away at church camp and a lot of other things going on. But, you know, um, why do y'all do and be here and others don't? You know, what, what's the difference in the mood, you know, that moves y'all to do it? In other words, you know, as I look around, there's people that are involved in ministries and stuff like that. And, you know, what impacts you internally to want to be a doer? And someone maybe who's not. 
And he sits there and he tells us, um, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You know, if there's anybody you don't want to deceive, who is it? Yourself. I mean, you don't want to deceive yourself. You don't want to sit there and think, I'm building rewards in heaven because I'm a hearer of the word. But that, you know, hearing of the word doesn't get you a reward in heaven. It, it helps you be prepared to be a doer. Would you agree with me? You know, it, it, it's, a, it's a learning. It's good for us. It helps purify ourselves if we're doers. In other words, we purify, we hear the word of God, we realize what it's saying, and we purify ourselves as far as either confessing faults, you know, cleaning up things, or we become doers of the word because the Lord inspires us to step out by faith to do something. That's where the rewards come from, and it's also a critical step in knowing are you really saved? My faith, when I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, changed me. Um, the Bible teaches us we become a new creature in Christ. I'm far from perfect. Just ask my wife. She can give you lots of affidavits. Um, but uh, the thing is, it changed me. And if the doing part isn't there, if there's not some inclination to be the doer, investigate you know again I'm teaching the Wednesday night class here tonight and you know y'all are the faithful members people online are listening but still it's it's a it should motivate us to investigate if we're not being doers to am I really saved why don't I want to do you know I hear but I don't do Um, because faith is an action word you know, um, James tells us in the other parts of uh, the book of James that you can tell me about your faith. I'm kind of paraphrasing. But he says, you can tell me about your faith, and I'll show you my faith by my works. The works don't get you saved, but the works prove you are saved. And so that's one verse that's a snapshot. Another one is in James 1.27, and it says, Pure religion... And undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from this world. Um, you know, we're supposed to be, have our eyes open for opportunities to be a blessing. And in Pacific, to um, people to fall into the category of fatherless and widows, we're supposed to meet them, uh, you know, in their affliction. In other words, come, you know, come in. And one thing that I don't see in here is that you have to wait until you're asked. How many of us, you know, say, "Well, they didn't ask for help. They, you know, you know, they, they, you know, they just didn't ask, so I didn't do." Well, who says they got to ask? If you see a real need and you have the ability to step in and make a difference, um, you don't have to really wait to be asked to try to help. Now, if they refuse it, 
you can't help that. But uh, my father was um, a good example to me as that. Even um, he had neighbors and stuff that were widows, and he'd see a need, whatever that need was, and he just he he never was asked. He just started doing. And uh, so the thing is, we we need to realize that we have obligations, and it says pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. So if you want to know how to please the Heavenly Father, he's telling us, you know, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, uh, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Um, You know, it's just pretty clear, isn't it? Just pretty clear instructions. Um, the verse that we're going to look at, where I told you to turn to in the book of Micah, we'll get to it again in just a minute, is verse 8. It is, it's a common verse for study. Um, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Now, Micah was a contemporary of um, Isaiah. Uh, he... He lived in Judah, but he preached almost exclusively to the law, to the ten tribes uh, of Israel that lived up in Samaria, uh, and he prophesied against them. During his time, uh, he preached for about forty-year period of time, from about 750 BC to 710 uh, BC. And King Hezekiah, who our pastor has been preaching on on Sunday morning was the king that was reigning during the time that um, Micah was preaching. Um, And Micah, uh, in the beginning, starts pointing out the judgment to come for the sins of Israel, these northern tribes. And they were trying, in the text, if you read the whole book, they're trying to come up with their own ways to make God happy with them. Have you ever known people to do something like that? Uh, I, my mom didn't get saved till she was 70. She thought she was saved. And I've, um, she went to church about three times a year. And I had two brothers, so guess how much church time each one of us got? You know, she took one of us with her uh, each time she went to church. So I got to go to church about once a year. And so every year, we, she'd go to for Sunday school too. When she went that Sunday morning, we went to Sunday school and... The trouble is I always had a different class because I was a year older and trying to figure out where I went, who I went to see. But my mom got diagnosed with uh, what might be cancer. It turned out not to be. It was benign, but it was a tumor. In her lost condition, she started strategizing about how to motivate God to help her, you know, with her circumstance. And so... The deal was we'd been attending this church for about five or ten years, and it was a church of about 1,000 to 1,500 people. And uh, she decided that what she would do is she would finally join the church. And then that would obligate God to take care of the surgery. Makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, you know, I'll just cut a deal with God. Is that the way God usually works with us? No, but it shows what human strategies would come up with. And so you could imagine how the northern tribes 
their strategies of what they were coming up with to try to get the Lord to not have them took into slavery by the Assyrians. Uh, and Micah, um, he starts out in chapter 6 and verse 1, and he says, Hear ye now what the Lord saith. And that, and that phrase, hear ye what the Lord saith, is really a great place to start for us if we want to truly be pleasing God. We need to not do like my mom tried to do, not what the uh, northern tribes tried to do, and that was let's make a deal. Uh, that, that usually don't get it done. Um, but what we need to do is start out with, hear ye what the Lord saith. And uh, the, uh, the nice thing is about the Bible, one of the things that's great is the fact that if you can't find a literal verse to give you direction, you can find precepts that will give you direction. I've had a lot of people in my life make the comment to me, I wish I knew what the Lord's will was for my life. Or I wish I knew what the Lord's will is for this or that. And the only answer I can share with them that I think I could stand on with biblical backing is do what you already know you should be doing for the Lord. And then that puts you in the perfect place for him to reveal to you new things. Whatever those new things are you need to be doing. Most people want to go to class 401 or 104 when they won't accomplish what the Lord taught them in 101. Uh, the, they heard it, they understand it, they know what they should do, but let's skip that one and try to find one that's more to my liking. And the Lord don't work that way, but he gives us guidance. And, um, and then we go to verse 8, which is one we'll spend a balance of the time in, although we will look at another verse or two. I'm going to read it first. He got, uh, Micah writing in chapter 6, verse 8. Um, he has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. You know, it, that's the snapshot, if you would, of what God sits there and says. But notice in verse 1, he made the comment and says, Hear ye now what the Lord uh, saith. And he's talking to the entire nation of Israel at this time but a northern tribes, but in verse 8, he has showed the old man. He's talking to us as individuals. He's broke it down. He's gone away from a nationalistic speech to us as individuals, and it carries forth even today to us. And um, so, you know, I've sat there, like I said, you know, in, in life you have a lot of different possibilities of things you might do. Um, and sometimes we do trouble ourselves wondering how should I handle this or what should I do. I, again, like people say, I wish I knew what the Lord's will was for me. 
And the thing is, there's been so much of that weight lifted off our shoulders because God has expressed it. How many of you would like to go through life knowing there's a God, knowing you ought to be trying to please him, but having no clue how to do it? I mean, wouldn't that be frustrating? Uh, you know, and that's what a lot of people do because they won't invest themselves either in personal study of this or come under the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God. And so they're, they're, they're scrambling like my mom did. Trying, you know, she's scared. She, they, they found a tumor. They knew it, they needed to go into surgery, and there was a chance it was cancerous, and she was uh, very nervous about it. She was scared, and she was lost, thought she was saved, um, and she was scared, so she was, let's make a deal. She was left to her own devices of how to get to a point where I can cope with this. How many of us have a carefree life? I mean, there just isn't any stress at all. I mean, yeah, no ripples in your pond. You know, just, uh, no, life is stressful, isn't it? But how many of us want to be out there and you're having to come up with the strategy of how to cope with this? When the thing is, the Lord's already said that how, he's shown how much he loves us by sending Jesus for us to die on a cross. So we know we're loved. The key is, is not hindering God's ability to bless us. If you tell your child to stop doing something and they won't do it, is it good to give them a piece of candy to get them to quit or better to give them a swat on the backside? You know, both might work, but the thing is the bribe's going to get bigger as they get older. And, um, you know, so it's better to address it. Well, the thing is the Lord, uh, sometimes our actions hinder God being able to bless us like he would like to bless us. But if you don't know any better, then you're kind of blinded to what you need to do to please the Lord. But he's lifted all that off of us because he tells us plainly what he demands of us, what he requires of us. Uh, the terms are already settled and thankfully written down. And um, so we sit there and we start uh, speaking or listening to what the Lord says here in Micah. And like I said, in verse 1 it says, Hear ye now, and in verse 8, Old, uh, old man, he's talking to us. So it ought to get our attention um, that God's wanting to talk to us. And he starts off by saying, but to do justly. Um, again, I'll read the verse, the whole verse. He has showed thee, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Um, does he say, I'd kind of like you to think about doing this? You know, he says he requires it. And so I think that ought to perk our antennas up a little bit that, you know, here's something we need to seriously take uh, into consideration because it's in our own best interest. Uh, you know, to some people, to treat them justly is based on our relationship with them. You know, they could be family, they could be church family, they could be friends, 
Uh, they could be co-workers. Uh, they could be neighbors. There's a lot of Pacific verses that God's given throughout his word about how we're supposed to help one another and stuff. It tells us uh, in one of the passages that Paul's writing that if a man refuses to work to try to feed his family, he's de denied the faith. Uh, so, um, you know, there's just lots of verses that tell us how to do justly by people. And then there's others that we may just owe obligations to. In other words, like the bank for the house payment, the phone bill, the electric bill. In other words, to do justly, we just need to do what we agreed we would do. And if something very unusual pops up and you can't do it, we need to answer the phone when they call. We may need to call them and work out a plan. But we just need to do justly uh, in those areas. Um, you know, and I doubt anybody here wants to cheat anybody out of everything. But there's also, um, to do justly, have you ever known somebody, they're not bad people, but they just aggravate you to death. You know, it could be the neighbor that, you know, does this or, you know, co-worker that does this. They're not really bad, but all oh, they aggravate you. Uh, how do we, how justly do we treat their good name? You know, uh, and stuff like that. So there's just different areas that we need to think about things as far as this doing justly. Do, you know, somebody, it just aggravates you the way, that, and then someone else says, does Bill ever aggravate you? And, and well, here's our chance to chime in or to do justly. And I know what the flesh tells me to do. Jump in with both feet and, yeah, and run my mouth, do things like that, and I've just violated this scripture. Because the man isn't really doing anything bad. He, he just aggravates me. And, uh, but I have an obligation to do justly by this individual. Um, and then we move on down in the verse, and it says, and to love mercy. Um, you know, go with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 4. And in Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14, it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all ways tempted like we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in times of need. Have these verses ever been a, just a great security blanket to wrap up in for you like they have been for me, going through uncertain times and stuff like that, but knowing I have access to the throne of God and I know that, that my, in, um, get the right word here, um, we have a great high priest, in other words, Christ, sitting on the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. You know, there's times we don't even know how to pray, 
And the scriptures teaches that the Holy Spirit makes groanings to God the Son. And God the Son is interceding with God the Father on our behalf. We have all three persons of God, the Trinity, working on our behalf. I mean, that's got to bring you some peace if you have confidence in it. And, and so, but the thing is, that it says, And let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. You know, I love it when mercy is extended to me. Do you? Do you love it when, uh, you know, I always pray for, or I tease rather, my business partner that I'm praying the Lord gives you everything you deserve, brother. And, <laughs> and he, he usually asks me not to pray quite like that uh, because he's one mercy. He's not wanting what he deserves. But the trouble is, are we willing to extend that same mercy to others? Have you ever had people that's really proven to you that they have nothing good for you or your family? They're, they have not, they have, they have bad intentions. If they could, they would inflict cost of some form or fashion to you or your family. Well, you know, we're commanded to love mercy. Give you an example of some words that we throw around too loosely right now. Um, you know, someone will see something, well, I just love that. Well, did you really love that, you know, or did you just appreciate that it's pretty or something like that? Me, I've picked up a bad habit of saying, well, that's great, you know. Uh, it's just a common phrase that I picked up. But, you know, great should be on a pretty high standard, wouldn't you admit? But I throw it out, well, well that's great. You know, sometimes some of my in-laws will call, and uh, they're, um, you know, they're good people, real good people. I'm, I married into a good family. And uh, the thing is, though, all my brother-in-laws are now my age almost or a little younger, and so they've got grown kids who have teenagers to kids, and some of them have grown adult kids who have their grandkids. And so when they want to, they'll call and say, you know, we got about a week that we could take off, uh, and we thought we might just come down and stay with y'all. You know, and visit and everything. And I'll say what? Well, that's great. Yeah. You know? <laughs> now, did I really mean it was that great? You know, well, you know, uh, you know that's great. And then I, I turn around and Lisa said, what was that? And I go, well, that was Andy or one of my other brother-in-laws. And they're going to come down and spend a week with us. And, well, how many of them are coming? I, think, I said, I think two of their sons or children. And so, I don't know, 10, 12, you know. <laughs> And, you know, and Lisa will sit there and say, what? And I'll go, well, they're your family, you know, and stuff like that. And she goes, yeah, but you won't be cleaning up behind them and cooking for them. And I almost want to say, well, that's great. <laughs> you know, because, <laughs> you, know, um, you know, and I would mean it then, but usually I'm smart enough not to, usually. I won't swear that I've stuck to it religiously, but... Yeah, but do we throw words around sometimes a little loosely? Do you think God does? No, he don't. And he says we're to love mercy. 
that means when that other person who you know wants to do you dirty or your kids, how about that? And you're supposed to want mercy for them. Now, you may have to protect yourself, but you have to love mercy. How many people have proven to you time and time again that, you know, they'll slight you? They'll, you know, they, they, you know, they're verbally abusable or they just neglect you. They do different things. But we're commanded to love mercy. Love is a real strong word, and it's a word that God doesn't just throw around, you know, like Rick is bad about doing. Uh, so we have to just, you know, God's sitting there saying to us um, back in uh, our text in Micah chapter 6, you know, he sits there and he makes this comment. That, you know, this stuff is hard. He says, old man, what is good? He says, he has showed the old man what is good and what does the Lord require of thee. He requires it of thee. So the thing is, now here I am, and I got people that I know don't have my best interest at heart. But if I act out of malice toward them, I hinder the Lord then being able to bless my family like he would like to because he's not going to reward me for doing wrong. So I have to sit there and sober myself up and just realize what the scriptures tell me to do. And if there's any tune-up or adjustment that those individuals need, I need to leave it, leave it to the Lord who knows how to do it a whole lot better than me. I can trust that the Lord will take care of me, but I need to be real careful how I treat that individual, uh, whoever they are. They, like I said, you may have to put some guards up. You may have to protect some things, yourself, your family, but we need to be so careful that we realize. Let me ask you this. Just like I teased my business partner about I'm praying the Lord gives you everything you deserve. How many of us want what we deserve? We don't. We love mercy, don't we? When we stand before the throne and, you know, right now today, Satan could be at the right hand of God, not the right hand of God, but in the throne and in, in before the Lord because in the book of Job, God called them all up and Satan had to appear. And what did Satan do? He accused. So we have an accuser, and he's up there doing his best, but we have the precious blood of Jesus Christ that's washed away our sins, sitting at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. So we have to then try to live Christ-like and to love mercy. And it is hard. You know, like I said, it's so easy to read it, and if we use the word love like we throw it around in so many different vernacular terms today you know we can just say well yeah I love them you know I'll stick a knife in their back if they turn you know, uh, <laughs> you know the, the thing is we have to be serious about it and, and pray for mercy for them we know what their character and their behavior is probably going to bring down on them because we know God's just and we're responsible for praying that he'd be merciful for them. 
to them. And then also be careful ourselves in what we say and how we behave. And then the last part that I want to look at with this verse, and um, you guys may not get out of here all that early, even without a song service. Um, But he sits there and he says, to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Um, You know, um, the first thing a person needs to do to have any chance of pleasing the Father is to humble themselves to the knowledge that we're all lost sinners without the redeeming power of Jesus Christ being applied to our lives. In other words, accepting his gift of salvation. And so we have to first humble ourselves in that regard. And then if you would turn with me to Romans chapter 12. And in Romans chapter 12, um, let me find my verse again. Um, Let's look at verse 3. Paul writing here in the book of Romans says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So Paul here is kind of re- uh, rehearsing a little bit of what Micah said as far as, you know, to not think of himself more highly than he ought to think. How many of you ever thought like you've been mistreated? Come on now. Come on, you're lying, lying. Uh, if you didn't raise your hand, we all think we got mistreated at different times. The trouble is we don't get to thinking about what we really deserve. We've got the wrong perspective. I remember Brother David making that comment several times. He said, a man that deserves a hanging ought not gripe about a beating. You know, uh, we, we, the reason we think we got treated unkindly is because we have a certain expectation because I'm this really sweet person and you know you ought to acknowledge that in the way that you treat me uh and so that that you know Paul's admonishment to us that uh to think of himself not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think soberly according as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith um, you know, everything good about us and everything good that's come to us has come down from the heaven. We've been blessed. Would you agree with me? We're, I mean, we're in an air condition. Can you imagine what this building would be like right now? We'd be having church out under the canopy where there might be a breeze. We wouldn't be in here. Uh, and so, you know, we're just blessed in so many different ways. Now, with Jesus Christ, um, the, the Bible tells us that the Spirit was given to him without measure. But Paul writes to us here uh, in verse 3, according as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. 
In other words, we, we're given faith as we need it and to walk humbly. I'll admit it that one of my biggest besetting sins is pride. It just, it just lurks under the surface. And many a time, you know, I'll, I'll teach a lesson and the Lord will honestly bless me and I do a good job and people are helped. And then shortly thereafter, I'll get to thinking, well, you really did preach a good lesson. Then. Now, what is that? That's pride and, and stuff like that. I'm always having to, now there's nothing wrong with trying to do a good job for the Lord and putting your best effort and hoping you are and praying that you are. But just so that we can use the same measuring stick, that pride for me at least is always just not too far under the surface. And so I really need that measure of faith to help keep Rick uh, in line so that I walk humbly. I don't get to thinking Rick did it, but I remember the Lord did it. The Lord may have used me, but uh, it wasn't Rick that did it. Um, and um, so the thing is, for each one of us to walk humbly, we're going to have to search our own souls. Uh, he, he sits there and he says, uh, Paul writing again, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. Well, what does that mean? It means to do some self-examination. Where do I get out of control? You know, what, what is likely to get me out of control where I'm no longer walking humbly before my God and then pray for the faith and the grace and the things that are needed to bring that back under control. And more than likely, it'll be daily. Because this world just don't give up, does it? I mean, that same coworker that pushed your buttons or that same neighbor that we got to be careful about doing his name right and you know do, do justice by his name. But they're out there. And it could be anger. It could be pride. It, you know what? No matter what it is, we just got to be sober enough to do a little bit of a mental inventory and then pray for the grace that we need because we're just sinners saved by grace. But the goal is to try to please our Heavenly Father. And he's given us some really good snapshots of things we could be, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Faith is an action word. Love, mercy. Love is a real strong action word. It's a, it's a powerful word used in the right context. So we got to think about that and use that as a measuring stick on ourselves. And then to walk humbly before our God, uh, get Rick out of the way and let the Lord lead like he should. All these things are just things that we have to stop and be sober about. And then uh, we try as sinners, saved sinners, to live a life that is as pleasing as possible to our Lord. Thank you all for your good, your good attention. Brother Zach, could you close us in a word of prayer?